Well, as I said in our prayer, we, be, uh, we are starting our series in Genesis called In the Beginning, which is looking at the first 11 chapters in the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters. Now, the, the word for Genesis in the Hebrew literally means origins, origins, the starting point. And, and the topic of our origins is a topic that every man and woman who has ever lived has been keenly interested in, been extremely curious about. Where did we come from? Where did our planet come from? Where did our universe come from? This is one of the reasons there's been so much excitement. You guys heard about this new James Webb telescope that's out there? You know, it's, it's supposed to succeed the uh, successor to the Hubble telescope. This is what it looks like in picture. If you don't know, it's the largest and most powerful telescope uh, we've ever built. And it's going to allow us to see further into the universe than we ever have before. And they're hoping that it will help them find new discoveries. Uh, the scientists are hoping that it will help them find the location of ET and ALF. And uh, it's hoping, they're hoping that it'll give us uh, new clues about the beginning of the universe. Why are we so curious about this? Why are we so excited about a telescope that allows us to see us farther back in the universe than ever before? Because we're curious to know where we came from. Because it gives us, in a sense, a foundation on which to build our lives. And while I'm really excited to see the pictures from this telescope and to see what it finds out there, because I love astronomy, today we're going to use what I believe is the only telescope you will ever need to see the origins of the heavens, to see the origins of the earth, to see the origins of our life. And that is the Word of God. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there was the evening and the morning of the first day. I will paraphrase from here. On the second day, he formed the sky, the expanse, or the firmament, your version might say. On the third day, he formed dry land and all of its vegetation. On the fourth day, God filled the sky with the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the fifth day, he filled the waters with fish and sea creatures and the sky with the birds. And on the sixth day, he filled the land with mammals and reptiles, and finally with man. And on the seventh day, he rested. This is the word of the Lord. So as we begin our look through this telescope of the Bible, we see at the beginning of time, God as the creator of the heavens and the earth. Period. And it's important that we stop and we grasp the significance of this. We're taught it in Sunday school. We memorize it, but we often miss the significance. The significance of Genesis chapter 1, it is the doorway to the rest of the Bible. It is the doorway to faith in God. You can't get to any other part of the Bible unless you go through Genesis chapter 1, especially verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now, if you can just put your faith in that, if you believe just that, the rest of the Bible is easy for you. Jonah and a whale. It's a piece of cake compared to this. Man, how can a, a man get swallowed by a whale? Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the bigger trick. If you can get this verse down, Jonah and the whale, Jesus walking on water, Jesus feeding 5,000, Jesus rising from the dead, it's all a piece of cake. It's all a walk in the park compared to this glorious, majestic first act of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But not everyone agrees with what the Bible reveals about the creation of the heavens and the earth, do they? There are many who look in the natural world around us and they discount what the Bible says about creation. We often hear phrases, catchphrases today, like science versus religion, science versus the Bible, science versus Christianity. Some of you sitting here today or watching at home may struggle to accept Christianity because you believe that's incompatible with science. But what if I told you that science and Christianity are not opposed to each other? Or better yet, what if I told you I don't think it's even possible for science and the Bible to be opposed to each other? To explain what I mean, let's start with how we view the Bible. The Bible is not a modern day science textbook. It's not a science textbook. I say this because some of us treat it that way. If you are ever gonna have an accurate understanding of the Bible, you must read it with the writer's original purpose in mind and the original culture in mind. I mean, when you read the Bible, how often do you sit there and think, okay, what did it mean to them before you ask the question, what does it mean to me? Sometimes it's easy for us to forget that the creation account was not written to modern day America. The Old Testament was written for the nation of Israel and to their culture, which is way different than our culture. Now it speaks to us, but it was written for them. It's like reading a newspaper from a previous generation. There are things that we gather from it, but we, we regather them realizing it was written to the people in that time. When Moses, who the scholars seem to think wrote Genesis, wrote the creation account, he wasn't thinking about America's culture wars. He didn't call his brother Aaron over and say, look, read this creation account. Well, how does it sound? Well, Moses, this is nice. But geez, you, you better give these Christians some ammunition because when evolution comes around in the 21st century, they're gonna need to have something to stand on. No, no, no. He wrote to the nation of Israel and he wrote to them to, to, to help them understand that it was God who created everything. For all the nations around them were, were, most of them, if not all, were polytheistic in nature, which means they believed in multiple gods. And they had varying views of these multiple gods. He said, no, no, there is only one God who created the heavens and the earth. The Bible is not a science textbook. And the Bible is not focused on the natural. That is not its main focus. The main focus of the Bible is the supernatural. To add to my point, 
If the purpose of the Bible was to support science, my question would be, which science is it supposed to support? Science is always changing. It is never static. You have learned this through this pandemic if you didn't know it before. It is in a constant state of flux. And science should be in a constant state of flux. It's, that's its purpose. It's, it's how it operates. Let's look at one definition of science. It is the knowledge about or study of the natural world, notice not supernatural world, based on facts learned through experiments and observation. Science is always changing because we're constantly having new observations and new experiences that give us new insights that change some of the facts that we thought were facts. What is accepted as true today in science may not be accepted as true tomorrow. Because science only provides what is the best explanation of the data at the time, period. And this is why it's good that the Bible is not a science textbook. Because if God aligned his revelation of creation with one particular science, it would have been unintelligible to the people who lived prior to that science, and then it would become obsolete to those who lived after that time of science. Are you following me this morning? Some of you are like, kinda. Now another reason that science and the Bible cannot be opposed to each other is science, as we read in our definition, is focused on the natural and not the supernatural. Science, it's not science's job to prove God. It's not science's job to disprove God. It is clearly science's job. All it is, is to test what we see, to observe what we see, and to make a hypothesis upon that. It's not science's job. Science has no stake in itself in the supernatural realm. It's not equipped or designed to examine the physical. I mean, it is equipped and designed to examine the physical, not the metaphysical. So then why do we have this myth that science and Christianity are opposed to each other? Because we have people who have their own worldview, who take science and they try to use it as a weapon against the Bible. They impose their own worldview into scientific discoveries to prove what they want to prove. They don't want there to be a God, so they say, here, science says there is no God. But that's not science that's doing that. It's people. So it's not science versus the Bible. It's people versus the Bible. And sometimes I think it's not even people versus the Bible. It's people versus people. For example, I'll tell you what I mean. One of the big rubs right now is that uh, it's believed, I think the prevailing belief, that I hear the most is that the universe is billions of years old, billions of years old. And then then that is in opposition to the Bible because the Bible teaches the earth is like 6,000 years old. But does the Bible teach that? Because according to Christians, the Bible says different things about creation. I'm gonna mention just a few of them. Some Christians believe that the Bible teaches a literal 24 hour period that Christi, Christian creation is exactly what we interpret. There were six literal 24-hour days that God created the heavens and the earth, period. 
There's also the alternate age day theory that these days are six 24-hour periods, but they are uh, separated by ages of growth where the earth was created and developed. There's what's called the um, sacred week theory where Genesis is, chapter one is using the, the, the concepts of days and weeks as a literary tool to put across the divine message of God's creation. As you read the structure, Genesis 1 does have this poetry to it, this symmetry to it between the days. Most recent one that I read about and I thought was really intriguing, was, it's called the, the Cosmic Temple Inauguration. The idea that the earth is God's temple, that his presence is here with his people. And it sees the six days of creation, not necessarily as material creation, but as functional creation. That those six days are a little or six days, but it's God taking what was here and making it functional for the humanity that he has created. And you see this in God providing seasons and, and weather and food. And these are not even all of the theories about creation. My point being that they, these are interpretations of what Christians read in the text. Some of them conflict with the, the universe being billions of years old, and, and some of them do not. But what does the Bible say? Well, the Bible says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. My point being is nowhere can I find the Bible states how old the universe is. Now, there are people who make estimations by adding up genealogies and so forth with the, the idea that Genesis 1 is literal 24-hour days, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of fun. But what I'm saying is the Bible never says the universe is this old, and in the next verse it says the, the earth is this old. It never gives this statement. Now, because the Bible never gives this statement, there's some of these theories that could be plausible, in my opinion. Why could they be plausible? Because none of them are a threat to Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and what church? The earth. Now, personally, I do believe in a literal 24-hour days of creation. Whether it was material or functional, I commit to a literal six days of creation. But listen, if I get to heaven one day and I find out I was wrong about this, I don't think I'm going to be upset by it. Oh, it wasn't six days. All right, I'm out of here. Because I'm honestly with my heart, I'm trying to make the best interpretation of scripture I can. Some things God makes clear, some things he doesn't. Now, I'm not going to be upset by this because I don't believe the purpose of Genesis 1 is to be scientific for the reasons I stated earlier. And I think there is a humility that some Christians need to adopt in approaching these topics where there is possibly room for interpretation. There's a humility that we were not there. What happens with Job? Remember when Job was questioning God? God replies with this, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, Job, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements, Job? Surely you would know. Who stretched the line upon it? Or, oh, excuse me, on what were its bases sunk? Who laid its cornerstone? 
when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. You remember how silent Job was after this line of questioning. I think sometimes Christians are so dogmatic in the area of creation that they close themselves off to ever having any discussion to anyone who thinks differently than them. Instead of thinking and saying, hmm, when somebody proposes something else, how could have God used this, what they're proposing? Now, don't get me wrong, there are times to be firm. Like when people tell me that I involved from an ape. Though sometimes I act like a monkey, so I don't, I get it. Now listen, I'm going to say this, and listen, uh, listen to me out fully, but I don't want you to throw anything at me after I make this first statement. Now listen, if God wanted to use evolution, then that was his prerogative. He's God. Do whatever he wants. But when I read about the God of the Bible, there's not a lot of room for that interpretation. In fact, there's no room. As he creates the plants and, and the animals, he uses this phrase over and over, after it's kind. Or in Genesis 2, 7, which we'll talk about next week, then the Lord God formed the man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and then man became a living creature. It does not say God formed the man out of a pile of goo or out of a fish that became a fish because it was a pile of goo. So there are reasons and times to be firm. And we need to study these things because 1 Peter 3.15 says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. And it goes on to say, but do this with gentleness and respect. But we must be careful when being firm and taking that stand only where the Bible allows literally no wiggle room. Like if someone comes to me about salvation through anyone other than Jesus Christ, if you have read your Bible at all, you can agree there is no wiggle room. You guys remember Copernicus? He caused a lot of trouble when he once promoted the idea that the earth revolved around the sun and not the other way around. Though he had really impressive evidence for this, it was received not well. Even in fact, Martin Luther is reported to have been unhappy with Copernicus because they were alive at the same time. Martin Luther, who started the Reformation. His student recorded him as saying this. People give ear to an upstart astrologer who strove to show that the earth revolved Around the, heaven, around the sun, not that the heavens and the sun or the ferment resolved around the earth. This fool wishes to reverse the entire science of astronomy. He goes on to say this, as reported by his student, but the sacred scripture tells us that Joshua commanded the sun to stand still and not the earth. So if the student recorded Martin Luther right, he takes this scripture and he says, Copernicus is a nut job. The problem is Copernicus was right. And obviously Martin Luther was wrong with this text because nowhere does the sun standing still have anything to do with the rotation of our universe. The point is that nobody in here 
is an infallible interpreter of scripture. Nobody. Scripture is authoritative and without error in its original writings, in my opinion, and I believe, and that is where I place my faith. But it doesn't mean we're infallible in our interpretations. And we must stay humble as we seek the scripture. And we must be open to new interpretations. Now, don't get me wrong, we don't accept all new interpretations they come and do because we go back to the word of God. But there must be a humility if we are ever, we always talk about this at Echo Lake, about growing together. If we're ever going to grow together, we have to have the same goal, which is truth. And then we have to be willing to explore ideas and find that truth together. Far too many times right now, especially in these areas, it's us versus them. It is win or lose. It's not growing together. We must be humble. As long it's not an attempt to overturn or to dispute in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, on the flip side, for those of you who struggle with the Bible because the universe is billions of years old, I would say you need the same humility. Remember, science is always changing. As we just said, we used to believe that the earth was the center of the universe. That was science. We used to believe that there was genetic variances between races. That was science. We used to believe that ulcers were just caused just by stress. That was science. Some of you are like, they're not. Some of us used to believe, science used to believe that time was constant. But now we know it's, anybody? Relative. We used to believe that the universe was static and a fixed size. In fact, this is what Einstein believed. That was science. All now have been proven wrong with the information we currently have. So even though we think we can measure the, the age of our universe, we have to realize that it's possible there might be things that we're missing. We don't know how dark matter may warp our, our tools of measurement or any other endless variables in the universe we have no idea about. Or we don't know if, if God started, in, it's God's, when God started the earth and went boom, if it started out fast and then slowed down over time. In fact, we used to think that the universe was speeding up. But there's some recent discoveries around supernovas that think it's that maybe it's the exact opposite. Our universe might be slowing down. Either way, science is in a constant state a flux. And even if the universe is still billions of years old, something can still not come out of nothing. Now, does that prove God? No. Science doesn't prove God. Science does not disprove God. But I do believe we can see what we see in science and say it points to God. There was this English philosopher, he wasn't a Christian, who believed that there were five Knowable categories in the natural sciences, and they somehow relate uh, the natural laws of nature kind of, they're a little different, but you can see parallels. And he said there was time, force, motion, space, and matter. Well, I think you can see these all in Genesis 1. In the beginning, time. God, force. Created, motion. The heavens, space, and the earth matter. In the beginning, God. 
Now, why am I saying all this? Because for those of you out there questioning, I want you to open yourself to the possibility that the God of the Bible does exist. Have you ever said that to yourself, that maybe he really is there? Maybe all of these people in church every Sunday are not psychopaths. Maybe there's a reason that you look at the beauty of this universe and think maybe it does point to God. As it says in Psalms 19.1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. That when you look at the earth, that it screams of a designer. Any of you ever been to Mount Rushmore before? I mean, do you ever go to Mount Rushmore? Say, man, look at how beautiful that is. Look how the wind and erosion just formed those faces. What an incredible chance. You look at that, you're like, no, somebody did that. Some very brave people did that. And we could spend probably two to three sermons talking about all of the order and purpose in our bodies and in nature that scream of a designer. Or think of the special place that we live in earth. If we were any closer to the sun, we'd fry. If we were any farther away, we would freeze even more than we are right now. Or the fact that our earth makes 365 revolutions as it journeys around the sun. Why not? Why doesn't it do 30 revolutions? Well, the days would be 10 times longer. Complain about your work day now. Imagine that. There would be alternate burning and freezing of people. And this life that we would enjoy would not be sustainable. Or what we breathe is beautiful, crisp air that we breathe. It's what, 79% oxygen? I think it's 20 oxygen to 19, 79% to 20%, 1% varying in gases. You smarter people know, but you get where I'm going with this. But if it was any different, let's say if it was 50-50, right? 50-50, oxygen to nitrogen. You know what happened the first time someone got stressed out and lit up a cigarette? Talk about the big bang. It'd be over in a flash. Or, or even our water-laden earth. Did I, well, I looked this up that if our oceans were half of the present dimensions that they are now, there would be less than a quarter of the rainfall that we have on earth. Life would not be sustainable. But if they were bigger, I think it's estimated just by one-eighth, the entire earth would be a flood. All of the things are just right for life. That's why they call it the Goldilocks planet. Once again, does this prove God? No, that's not science's job. And if science could prove God, then there's no room, no reason for what we read in Hebrews 11.3. That says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Oh, well, I am a person of science. I am a person of evidence. No, you are a person of faith, just like me. The only difference is you put your faith in something else. Science never asked you for your faith. It doesn't care about your faith. But that's where you place it. Or you're placing your faith in what other people tell you. 
All science does is says, hey, here's what I discovered so far. Oh, look, I discovered something new, or I discovered something else, or I proved what we already discovered. That's all science that does. And I have to, in my opinion, it requires much more faith to believe in something out of nothing than to believe in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And where you place your faith makes a difference. We talked about this at the closing of our worship. When your faith is not in God, you're it. You are it. So if life is too big for you, if too many mistakes, there's too much struggle, you are defeated by it. You are crushed by it. You are, it stops you in your track because there's nothing bigger than you to hope for. When your faith is in God, there is always hope. Because there is someone and something always bigger that can alter your sins, that can alter your weaknesses, that can alter your struggle to bring order to the chaos in your life for a greater purpose. Right now, we live in a world where our, in my opinion, our leadership and a majority of our cultural influences put their, they don't put their faith in God. How's it going for us? How's it going? Not well. If you believed in nothing else, look at our, the direction of our country when our country is rooted in a godless existence. But when your faith is in God, when this is where you choose to place your reasonable faith, it changes not only your outlook on the past, but it changes your outlook on the future. The God who, who brought, who took chaos, he brought it into the cosmos, who brought order to everything, who didn't just create and bring order, who sustains life and brings purpose to life. It changes how you live. I mean, do you realize what you are able to live through with great confidence if you place your faith in God? Do you guys remember Acts, when our last couple series ago, we went through the first seven chapters of Acts. And in Acts 4, a couple of the apostles, they got persecuted. And they came back and they told the other believers what had happened. And what did they do? They prayed. They rejoiced and they prayed. Here's how they started out their prayer. Lord, you are God. You created the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything that is in them. That's how they begin their prayer. God, you created it all. And then they go on to pray for a really hefty thing. They say, Lord, give us boldness to preach your gospel and help us to have courage to face the persecution we know that's coming. I guarantee you, they could not have prayed the second part if they didn't proclaim the first part. You created the heavens, you created the earth, you created the sea. Then whatever I pray for, I know that if you did that, you can certainly answer this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring you what I need, but before I do that, I'm gonna recognize who you are. That's why we sing every morning, not because we got great voices, because we are reminding ourselves that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We're remembering who he is. And when you remember who he is, you're going to find the faith and hope in this world comes to you quite easily. When your life is built on, in the beginning, 
God. 